Last Sunday, Pastor Rod had a message on um, expressing humility towards one another in that series that we're working through on the one another passages from Scripture. But he talked about it at the conclusion of his message, and I thought, well, that's such a setup for where I was intending to start the message for this morning. He talked about the lion and how the lion goes after its prey, that the lion will be looking for the one that is weak or the one that is sick, the ones that are lost, somehow separated from the rest of the group. They will look for the isolated one, and that's the one that's in trouble, and that's the one that the lion will devour. And last week when Pastor Rod was finishing up, he said that as a, our church, or as a, our job as a church is to stick together so that can't happen, to protect each other and be there to support each other. So I want to pick up from those thoughts that Pastor Rod ended off last week with and kind of begin to say, how do we do that? And so he was speaking about being humble toward one another. Today, the one that has been assigned for me to speak on is be devoted to one another. So I'm titling this message this morning, Recovering the Lost Art of Relational Devotion. And I want to say it's a lost art because I don't think it's happening to the extent that God would like it to happen in the context of our church relationships or other relationships. We've lost the art of relational devotion. And so the, my beginning kind of ties in with Rod's ending. I want to read to you one of the fables of Aesop, one of Aesop's fables. And it, and it goes like this. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many a time he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, there fell a quarreling among themselves, and each one went off to pasture alone and separate in a separate corner of the field. Then the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end of all four. When we are devoted to one another with an atmosphere or culture of trust and feel safety to go tail to tail to tail to tail, we can face what's coming at us from the outside. But when, as Aesop says, when there is a quarreling among them and they separate and isolate, they are easy prey for the lion to come and attack. Another phrase that stands out when we look at that is, united we stand, divided we fall. And when we lose this art of relational devotion, we are a failure to stand united, and we set ourselves up for division and falling. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 3, in verses 24 and 25. He said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. So Jesus speaks about a kingdom, he speaks about a family, but we can stretch that into every aspect of relational context of our lives, life groups, our church family, your friend groups, anywhere where you have relational connections, if there's division, it will fall. We live in a society which is pretty divided no matter where you look. After the last two years of COVID, we have found divisiveness to be very rampant and polarizing. 
We see it happening on our political levels, how polarizing that is in our own country, let alone in global situations. We see it even in the context of church life. How do we interpret theology and how do we live that out in connections with one another? We end up arguing and being divisive and it happens in family contexts. When we are deprived of safety in our relationships, we end up in this place of divisiveness. When we are deprived of that in our relational connections, we're in a very difficult place. Without safety in our relational connections, life becomes very hard. We become exhausted, not just physically, but exhausted about life itself. We are very guarded in our relationships. We're like the oxen after they are a quarreling, and now they're off on their own, and they are subject, and they cannot withstand the attacks of the lion. Our text for this morning comes out of Romans chapter 12. It's verses 9 and 10, and particularly verse 10. But verse 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The passage that I've been assigned to speak on is that one phrase, be devoted to one another in love, or even just be devoted to one another is what we're talking about here. We need to find a way to go in from being divided in divisions to being devoted to one another. Romans chapter 12, earlier on in that, that chapter, it says in verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world and as again, we look at the pattern of this world, we would see right now the pattern of our world in which we live is divisiveness. It says, don't conform to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then that's where all these one another passages come in. And this morning, part of that transformation that God wants to do in our lives is to lead us back to that place where we can restore the lost art of relational devotion. It's part of what God is saying when he says, be transformed, and Paul continues on there to speak about ways we can do that. Be devoted to one another in love. What does the word devoted mean? Well, and some of the other translations just changes the word a little bit. J.B. Phillips says, let us have real warm affection for one another. That's a good example of what devotion looks like. New King James simply says, be kindly affectionate towards one another. Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the message, says, be good friends who love deeply. So we talk about kindly affection, loving deeply, warm affection. All of that translates into the word that we're using this morning of being devoted to one another. Where there is a culture that thrives on that, where there is a culture that understands that, where there is that sense of being devoted to one another, you have a sense of safety and security and a sense of freedom which comes out of that devotion. And every one of us, that's one of our highest needs, is to feel safe and to feel secure. When we have that, the rest of our world feels good and feels right. When we know that people are looking at us and they're saying, I've got your back, we can relax and we can drop our guard and we can settle in and we can thrive in this life. Without that, we don't have that safety, that security, and we're guarded and we feel isolated and alone and we're subject to being devoured by the lion. What does relational devotion look like? Let's start with that, and then we'll look at how we can begin to implement in our lives. 
What does it look like? Well, first of all, we use the word devotion, and we use that word fairly loosely, especially in our context of our relationship with God. Um, many of you got up this morning, and the first thing you kind of did, because it's your routine, is you had devotions. You did your few minutes of prayer and Bible, st- or Bible reading and prayer in connection with God. And then we can, in a sense, I'm not trying to minimize this because this is very important in our Christian walk to have our time with God and our devotions. But in a sense, now we check our box and we say, I'm devoted because I did my devotions. But I want to say to you that it goes, a lot, true devotion means and demands a lot more than that. That is good to spend that time with God. It's important and needed in our lives. But we have to do more when it comes to understanding the depth of the meaning of what it means to be devoted to one another. Simon Sinek, in a book I've been reading called Leaders Eat Last, in this book on on leadership, he builds a case for developing a workplace culture that makes people feel safe and valued. So if an employer will have a culture that every employee feels deeply valued and feels safe and secure in their employment, he says your employees the return you will get from your employees in work, at work, the productivity you will get from them will be incredible. If they can make that shift to where your employees feel safe, if there's a sense of division within your employees and competition within the employees that they feel one is out to get the other, the productivity level is going to drop immensely. He used this illustration, and I found it quite interesting as I thought through this, and, and I think he's right. So imagine this, you were moving from Grand Prairie to somewhere else, and you're doing this on your own, and you don't have financial resources to do it, and you don't have physical help to do it. So you're really struggling inside, and and one of your friends calls you up and says, I I know you're moving, and I know you don't have a lot of money. I would like to rent the U-Haul truck for you. I'd like to pay for that and pay for your gas it's gonna take to drive the truck to where you're going. You would feel overwhelmed by that, gesture of generosity. And as you kindly accept that gift, someone else phones you up and says, I I hear you're moving, and I know you're by yourself in this project. I'm going to take some time off work, and I'm going to come over, and I'm going to help you pack your stuff. We're going to load it into that truck. I'm going to go with you in that truck as we drive to your new place, and I'm going to unpack and help you settle in. And then if you need, I'll bring you the truck. I'll drive the truck back for you. And Simon Sinek in this illustration, he says, and then you accept both those gifts and you get settled in a new place. And shortly after that, you get basically the same request from each of these individuals at the same time, asking for your help with something that you can do and you want to do, but they both need it done at the same time. And you can only do one of them. Which one do you do? Which one do you return the favor to? And he would argue in that book, as much as you want to help the one who put their Visa card or their MasterCard on the, on the desk and paid for your truck, you're going to automatically go to the one who rode with you in that truck, who was arm in arm with you moving furniture, who helped you do the heavy lifting, who you were laughing with in the truck, and um, who you trouble, did the troubleshooting with. He said, you're automatically going to go to that person and help them first. There's something about face-to-face arm-in-arm, heart-to-heart interaction that brings out that sense of devotion, that that's going to be where you're going to want to respond, even in tough decisions. You will give back to the one that gave to you in a physical sense. 
So devotion is expressed in, in these terms. I'm going to give you five terms, and then I want you to kind of do a bit of a self-evaluation as we look at these terms. First one is devotion is expressed in, in how you value someone else, how you say to them, you are important to me. I mean, Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Languages, kind of gives five areas of how we show value to one another, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, the giving gifts. This is how we show to one another that we value them. But how does your expression of love show devotion? How does that do that? And, and so is there a, even a disconnect? Are you aware of those that you want to be devoted to, what, what love language they need to hear? So in other words, if you give gifts to somebody that really all they want from you is quality time, we miss the mark of what it means to show value, to say to that person, you are important to me. We've got to understand the, what they need from us and respond in that way. We need to be able to say to them, you need quality time. I'm going to make that. I'm going to give that to you. So value, what's important to them becomes important to me, and we're going to step into that role. Second one is loyalty. We've got to be able to say to them in some way, I'm in this relationship with you for the long haul. I'm going to walk with you through the good times and the bad times. We're friends for life, almost like for those of us that did the more traditional marriage vows and sickness and in health for better, for worse. This is the kind of context it takes to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And we need to be able to say to them too that by our actions, not just our words, but by our actions that you're a priority to me in the multifaceted schedules that we have and different demands on our life, we need to communicate to them that in, 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 with all this stuff going on, you're a priority in my life. I value you. I'm going to be loyal to you. You're a priority to me. And then we're going to find ways to meet their needs. Not just the physical needs, and like maybe they need a meal if they've been sick for a week. Yeah, that counts. But meeting their emotional needs, how to walk alongside of them through the difficult times. I will be there to walk with you through this walk, even though I've never been there myself. I want to walk with you. I want to meet your needs. I want to be part of that. And the last one is being, expressing vulnerability. You want to be able to connect with them on a level that says, I'm going to let you in to what's going on inside of me, to the deep issues of my life. And you can trust me with the deep concerns of your life. And as that door of vulnerability goes both ways, they will feel a sense of strength and devotion coming at you. So devotion is expressed through these things. I want to know you in a deep, intimate way, vulnerability, meeting needs. I'm going to make you a priority. I'm going to be loyal in our relationship. And I'm going to do things that show value, how important you are to me. So that's just going to pause there. Those five things are up on the screen going to get you to do a little bit of a self-evaluation when you look at that. And if you're looking for areas that say, God is probably compelling me to grow some here. Here's some areas that I need to be stretched in. Which of those would you check off? And as we're doing that, just um, when Pastor Caleb sends out an email you know, saying, hey, would you be available to speak on this particular date? 
I check my calendar and if it's available, my response is always yes, because I value these opportunities to, to be here and, and, to, and to speak. And then after I agree, I will look at the text. And there are times when the text will say, and I'll look at the text and I'll go, yeah, that's great, I love this, I can do this. And there are times like this one where I'm going, uh-oh, I'm not very good at this stuff. I don't do being devoted to one another very well. And so as we had that list, and I was looking at it for myself, I had to check a number of those things. And so if you're here and, and you're there, that's okay. What we can do with this message is saying, God, help us to come out of this and not live in a, in a culture of divisiveness, but work towards being devoted to one another. So I've got a lot of check marks and a lot of area that, I, that need attention and growth. And so this message, even as I've been preparing it, has been for me and still is even as I'm saying it to you this morning. Here's one of the simple ways that it plays out, and this is how it plays out in, 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 in my life. You might be part of group texting or WhatsApp groups, and you get this message that's sent out to several people, and, and it might say, please pray for me today because of, and they might go on to describe a situation that they're encountering. And you'll look through your little emojis, and you'll find that little praying hands emoji, and you'll send it back to them, and thinking, good, now I did my part. Being devoted to one another, if the opportunity is there, would mean instead of just sending out the little praying hands emoji, why don't we hit the phone button and, hit and, and phone that person and say, I just got your text. Can I pray for you right now? And just start a prayer. And even if it goes to voicemail, just say, hey, I just saw your text, and just start praying on the voicemail that they can hear your prayer when they have a moment to answer that call. It doesn't take a lot of our time but it goes a long way to say, hey, I'm devoted to you. This is part of our connection through devotion to one another. What are the barriers to relational devotion? We talked about kind of what it could look like, but what keeps us from doing those extra things? The first one I want to mention is our own insecurities. And these are, these are all areas in which our or which the enemy will try to keep us isolated. So we're not as those four oxen were in strength with tail to tail to tail to tail with the four tails in the middle and their horns out to face the enemy. Instead of going in that formation of strength, we isolate ourselves because of our own insecurities, our own feelings of rejection that push people away. We are our own worst enemies. So we avoid this connection of ice, we end up in isolating, end up discouraged and empty and feeling alone. When we start to feel like we're not good enough, we're not wanted, we don't fit in, we don't belong, we withdraw from the safety of the core of being devoted to one another and end up isolated. Yet we long, everything inside of us longs for that connection. We want that more than anything else, but we disconnect it from ourselves and we need to overcome that. Part of where that comes from, though, is our own historical story. In our life group that Liz and I are part of right now, um, Andrea Biet is leading us through um, a series about, about this kind of stuff. Very stimulating series that talks about connections with others and our attachments and where they go wrong, and it really comes out of our historical story, of owning our own story. We all have a story, 
And some of you come out of a story of deep pain and you go, like, this is why I'm messed up. But some of us come out of a story that we say, we had a pretty good upbringing and yet we still feel some disconnection. And so if we go back and embrace our story, we can find a way through it. Um, here's a, a quote from a Kurt Thompson that, that she used that really kind of hit me. It says, we can grow up in homes which the food finds the table, the money finds the college funds, and the family even finds the church each Sunday. But somehow our hearts remain undiscovered by the two people we most need to know us, our parents. So even growing up in what we would say is a very healthy, strong, vibrant family, there's room for some of this disconnection when we feel undiscovered by our parents or by our family or by those that are close to us. And if we grow up feeling undiscovered, that shapes our story and how we play that out. And it causes us to feel undiscovered in our relationships and now we're isolated and we're divisive as opposed to devoted to one another. Understanding our story and making peace with that story helps us to heal and move forward and connect in, other, in, in healthy ways. Then there's this idea of distrust. As we know, trust is very hard to repair. You can break trust in an instant and it takes months or longer to repair it. And Satan wants to keep us isolated from one another with feeding our distrust in our relationships. So he throws his lies at us that keep us from relational devotion. And it starts with, possibly starts with distrust for ourselves. What if I don't measure up? What if I start to move into being devoted to one another and, and, I, and I don't follow through? I drop the ball and I let them down. What if I won't be able to handle it emotionally? What if I, I'll just end up hurt again? And so we don't trust ourselves to be engaged that we pull back. And probably a bigger area is because we've all been in these places where we've been hurt before, where trust has been broken. What if they abuse my effort? What if they take advantage of me? What if they betray me? How many of you, and don't raise your hand yet, I might ask you for that in a minute, but how many of you have been deeply hurt in a, a relationship context of friendship and something happened between the friends and boom, or your, or your roommate situation, you thought, hey, I can get along well with that person, you become roommates, and the next thing you know, one of you is moving out because you can't get along with each other. I mean, have you been through that kind of a relationship that went bad or a business partnership where you're going to do this thing together and it's going to make life better and you're going to line your pockets and things happen in that business relationship and you're left, you feel like you're left carrying the debt? What about an employee, your employer, and you feel like they've taken advantage of you and they've used you and they've promised you all this stuff and then they go and deliver and they kind of threw you under the bus? Have you been in one of those kind of situations? What about hurt in the context of church? Hurt by a, something a pastor has said to you or a church leader has said to you and you're left feeling like, I'm not sure I ever want to come back to this place again or I'm not even sure I want to be part of this thing called the faith community again. How many of you, maybe we'll ask for a show of hands, how many of you have been deeply hurt in a relationship context at some point in your life? Yeah. Hands, yeah, we all have been. We all have been. And so it makes us hard to engage in this thing called being devoted to one another when our past says it hurts. 
It hurts to put ourselves out there. It hurts to be vulnerable. It's risky and it's scary. Jesus was there too, and he kept going. Paul was there too, and yet he says to us, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's a phrase, a simple phrase, and it's probably a lot it is a lot easier for me to say it than it is for us to do it, but this is the phrase, learn to love like you've never been hurt. Learn to love like you've never been hurt. Open those doors in relational connection, even though last time the door closed in your face and it hurt, and you still feel the sting of that. Open that door again and move into a relational connection that involves being devoted to one another. There'll be some of those that will hurt again, and there'll be some of those that'll be extremely life-giving, and you need to look and, and hold on to those ones that are life-giving. How do we restore relational devotion? What's it like to embrace this concept of being devoted to one another when we're coming out of this place of distrust and our own insecurities and, and our own historical story that's holding us back? Well, I want to suggest it starts with our relationship with God. That's the beginning point of this. And, and so Matthew 22, it says it this way. And this is Jesus being approached and saying, what are, out of all the commandments, which is the greatest, and Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if we were to look at that summary, what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, we're saying, there it is. There's a definition of devotion right there. Being able to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And, and then he says in, in verse 39 of Matthew 22, and the second is like it. Now, he changes the wording here. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, but he says the second is like it. So in our relationship with God, we've got to start there with loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we have, our devotion starts here. And then, he says, the second is like it. Our devotion goes this way, to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second is like it. The second involves a commitment to devotion, but it begins with our devotion to God. And so out of that connection with God, and if we can have that devotion to God, and out of that we sense our safety and our security needs are met in our relationship with God, that we are knowing, knowing that we are loved by Him because of who we are. Simple as that. That we are secure in His care. Simple as that. It frees us up then to move into relational devotion to one another. So if we're going to start looking at relational devotion to one another, then my first point would be we have to embrace the benefits. What are the benefits of relational connection? What are the benefits that say, it's risky, I've been hurt before, it's risky to step into this, so there's got to be some benefits, I'm going to want to do it. The benefit is this, you will be in the place that everything inside of you wants to be the place of safety, the place of feeling secure, the place of, of at peace with yourself, the sense of somebody has my back, I'm valued here. You'll be like the four oxen when they had their tails meeting in the middle and they're looking outwards. You'll be in that sense of, we got this. That's the benefit. A sense of peace that says, I belong. 
a sense of satisfaction that says, I matter, and my contribution counts, and we can now look out and make a difference in the world around us. But it starts with these benefits of being safe and secure with who we are. Everything, the benefit is this, everything you are looking for in life comes from living out relational devotion to one another in relationships. God made us that way. He wired us that way. That everything you are looking for in life is, is going to be some way tied to being devoted to one another in love. And so you want what God created life to give you, we have to embrace the benefits. And then we have to accept the cost. There will be a cost. Time, it'll cost you time. You'll have to change some things in your schedule to say, if I'm going to be devoted to these people, it's going to take this out of me. It's going to take some of your resources, whether it's financial or emotional. It's going to come at a cost resource-wise in your life. I see this in our friends in addiction recovery that are invested in the 12-step meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. When somebody goes into those rooms, and uh, very quickly, one of the first things that's going to happen is they're going to start getting a list of phone numbers. There's going to be people coming up to them and saying, hey, I see you're new here. Here's my number. And they'll say, phone me any time. And they'll put such a strong emphasis on those last, on that word, any time, that it's, it sticks. And they mean it. And they'll answer that phone. They'll keep their phones with them. And they'll be calling each other, supporting each other. And if you were to ask them, that takes a lot of your time, that takes a lot of your emotional energy. Why do you do it? And without, looking, without even thinking about it, they'll say, it's so worth it. It's so life-giving to me. It helps me more than I help others. There's something about accepting the cost that has dividends back to us when we invest in building relational devotion to one another. And so to embrace the benefits and say there is a cost, but the cost pays dividends. And then to come back and just so it's time to step out. It's time to do it. It's time to, you know, when somebody said it this way, I'd, I'd, I'd rather burn out than rust out. It's time to get traction under there. So Paul gave this challenge. Be devoted to one another. And he gave that challenge to the church in the city of Rome, to the Jews, to the Gentiles that met together in the context of worship. He gave the challenge to the church. And so if we say step out and do it, I want to suggest that the place to step out and do it is here. We start in the church. We start with each other as we worship and fellowship together. And in a church our size, when you look around, we can't be devoted to this many people. So find a group that you can be. And in our context, it's called life groups. If you're in a life group, if you're already plugged into a life group, begin to explore ways, how can I increase my level of devotion to the people that I meet with weekly or bi-weekly or whatever, however often you meet? How can I increase my level of devotion to this, to this group of people that I'm journeying through life together? If you're not in a life group, plugging into one is the best way to start developing this thought of being devoted to one another. Liz and I have been a part of a number of life groups, and we've been a part of one consistently for over the 37 years we've been married. And we've seen so many healing experience, so many growth opportunities for ourselves and for others take place in the context of, of a life group, of being deeply committed to a caring community. And so I would say that's a good place to start. Just yesterday, one of our Rising Above board members sent a note out, and 
their two-year-old girl was in the hospital here in Grand Prairie, and some kind of a virus was destroying her, and her oxygen levels were dropping fairly rapidly, and so she was rushed to Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton. And um, as I was praying for them and for their little girl, my own mind immediately went back to a situation that we went through with our family, with Michael, when he was about that same age, two years older under, and we were in the hospital in Saskatoon, and lots of question marks. His health was deteriorating very fast, and it was very urgent. And um, I remember being there in the darkness of the night, staring out the window into the blackness, feeling, just feeling that blackness, feeling so empty, disconnected, unable to pray for our own situation. And it was in that darkness that our people, our people from our church started to phone us and contact us and say, you don't need to pray because we're doing that for you. We're carrying that load for you. And in those moments, even with, unser- with, with unanswered questions, there was that sense of what it felt like to have somebody say to you, I got your back in this. We're devoted to you. And it makes such a difference. Um, if you're not connected in that kind of a connect- connection group, there will be places for you to sign up for that and get plugged into a life group. The second area would be, yes, get plugged into a life group and then get plugged into a place, serve, a place to minister. Plug into ministry. Be part of a team that works together to serve, whether it's serving within the body here of ushering or on the technical team or on the worship team or, or whether it's serving in an area that reaches out to the community like FIT or in other areas. But plug into a team where you're working shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with somebody to make a difference and then become devoted to those people you're working with and you will watch yourself grow. Yes, it's going to take time. Yes, it's going to take some emotional energy. It's going to be draining. But the dividends back the rewards back, the benefits back are going to outweigh that every time. It's time to recover the lost art of relational devotion. It's time to move from division and isolation to devotion and safety and security. We need it as individuals. We need it in the life of our church as we continue to move through transition. Where will you start? What does the first step look like for you? And what will you do differently so that you can be devoted to one another in love? Let us pray. God, as we hear your word, and it's a simple phrase to be devoted to one another in love, but as we unpack that and apply it in our lives, we realize how difficult it can be to step out into that place. But God, as you were challenging us today and your word just says it so clearly that that's what you want because you know how much we need it in our own lives, how much it's going to fulfill us and bring us closer to you as we do that. So help us to be responsive to what you're asking from us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming up in two weeks from yesterday, which is March 26th at 9 a.m., There's another vision town hall meeting here, or another town hall meeting. This one's on vision. And it's part of the transition. It's part of shaping what's going to happen for the future of our church. So that's 9 a.m. on March 26th, right here in this auditorium. And second thing that I want you to remind you of is, at always, when we conclude this service, if you need prayer, 
whether it's something you heard in the message this morning or something else that you're dealing with or coping in your life, and you're going, I need somebody to pray with me. There'll be people coming up here that would love the opportunity to, to pray with you. And so take advantage of that this morning too. Receive this as the benediction. Go and discover what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And let that inspire you to be devoted to one another and brotherly love. You may be dismissed.